Magovanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I want to go over one of the aspects of the Lord of the Rings that makes it such a fantastic story, and that is, of course, the characters. Because the story is so big in its scope, you have the space to develop many, many characters. And for that reason, anybody who reads it can find some character or other to identify with, look up to, take you know lessons from, or what have you. And so in this video, what I want to do is give as my own personal examples, you know, various characters who I feel attached to in different ways, and that way just kind of illustrate the, you know, the, the way in which the Lord of the Rings gives us so many opportunities to connect to all these different characters. You know, in The Hobbit, of course, it's mainly Bilbo that we get any connection with at all. Most of the dwarves... They're there with him the whole time, but they each individually gets very little screen time, so to speak. Gandalf is absent for a good chunk of the story. Bilbo is really almost the only lens we see the story through. Whereas in The Lord of the Rings, we have many primary characters, many secondary characters, and then a whole bunch of even tertiary characters that are developed enough that we can really get a good feel for them in some idea of how we are like them, would like to be like them, would like to change to not be like them, or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I'm going to talk about the ones that I have these kinds of connection with in The Lord of the Rings, and we're going to start with hobbits. So first off, of course, Frodo is the easiest person to mention because he is, for especially the first book, you know, the first two books, depending on how you count it. The Fellowship of the Ring technically has two books. Fellowship of the Ring is just a volume. Um, for that part of the story, at least, he is the protagonist. Samwise is a much more background character. Samwise becomes a more prominent primary character, really, in The Two Towers and especially in The Return of the King. But Frodo has a lot of qualities that many people probably identify with, and the ones that I identify with are his, the general fear that he has of the situation he's in, because he finds himself in the situation that is, you know, far too big for him, seemingly. And yet, he also has a fair amount of resolve, and in the right circumstances, his courage will lead him to do things that you would not necessarily anticipate a hobbit to do. And one of the better examples of that, which doesn't make it into the the Peter Jackson movies, but which actually was covered by Ralph Bakshi, is in the brief fight in Moria, where Balin's tomb is, a troll sticks its foot into the door, and Boromir tries to attack the thing, but his sword just kind of glances off. And Frodo, seeing this, takes kind of a, almost a rash action, you might say, and he runs and stabs it in the foot with Sting. And Sting, being an elven-made blade, goes right in, and unfortunately he almost loses it, because when the troll pulls the foot back, it almost takes the sword with it. But that's the kind of example of Frodo being very active in the original story that you don't really get if all you've seen is the Peter Jackson films. He's also much more involved in making his own choices and not 
as passive as he is in the Peter Jackson movies because he's the one that decides that he needs to take the ring out of the Shire and, you know, go, go find some place that it's not going to be endangering the Shire and find a way to get it ultimately to Mordor, though he doesn't necessarily anticipate at the time that it's going to be him to do that. So there's these two sides of Frodo, which is kind of a prototypical Hobbit thing because hobbits are very passive laid back not very active in the world but when push comes to shove they can be very active in their own self-defense or you know doing things that need to be done and so that's one area in which I find Frodo very relatable because I have a lot of the same kinds of feelings about a lot of the things that go on you know in my own professional sphere I work in the practice of law and in that field there's almost always something you need to learn because there's just so much out there legally that you have to constantly be researching new things and so you always kind of feel a little inadequate but when you you know step into a courtroom or you put yourself into a situation where you really have to put that into practice you know you prepare you get ready and you do your job and then you know, that's also true just of life in general in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things, especially going on these days, that it just seems like the world's going to come to an end and there's nothing we can do about it. But each of us, in our own small way, can actually do something to make some part of the world better. So that's my first pick and one of the weaker picks. It's going to get stronger from here on out, so it gets more interesting. My next choice is Gimli, and this one comes a lot down to personality and I've talked before actually about how similar I am to Gimli in a lot of ways in a video that was kind of half a joke but also kind of sort of serious uh, about doing a personality quiz for races in Middle Earth and I'll link to that video in the description below if you want to have a little fun but one of the things that I mentioned in that video is that dwarves by their nature tend to be very you know, not only stubborn, but when they make friends, which is rare, they tend to stick by them very well, and they're very loyal, which is kind of a corollary to that stubbornness. And I have a lot of that in me as well. I don't make friends easily, but if I become your friend, it's because I connect with you on some kind of deep level. It's not some surface-level thing like we both enjoy, you know, board gaming or video gaming or you know, reading Lord of the Rings, or, you know, those things are nice to connect over, but that's not really enough to form a really deep friendship in the way that I form with the handful of people that I have those kinds of relationships. And so, like Gimli and other dwarves, once I'm on your side, I am on your side for life, and I will do almost anything for you. And we can see that, of course, play out in Gimli's relationship with Legolas. He's not very keen on the idea of traveling with an elf at first, and they have some verbal sparring here and there. But after his experience with Galadriel, and Legolas kind of comes around to seeing that he's not just some, you know, totally artless rube who can't be reasoned with, they become fast friends to the point where they defend each other in fairly extreme ways. And of course, Gimli will defend Galadriel, or almost defend Galadriel against Eomer in even more extreme ways. So, that's the kind of way that I am with 
friendships and those kinds of things. But also on that Galadriel note, I'm also in some ways like Gimli there because when we think of dwarves as compared to elves, both can be very creative makers, you know, makers of song, makers of artifacts, makers of various different things. But for the dwarves, it always feels more pragmatic and more about the satisfaction of the making itself and less about the inherent beauty, whereas the elves seem much more in tune with just the inherent beauty of the things that they make and also the things that are just naturally in the world. They have a very deep appreciation for things in the world that are, you know, beautiful in their own way. And for me, it's a lot more like dwarves, because I very rarely get moved by just beauty around me. But every now and then, like when Gimli comes into contact with Galadriel, I am overcome with, you know, beauty of different sorts. It might be music, it might be a really beautiful landscape vista, you know, with mountains and trees and whatever, it, it, various different things, but it happens rarely, but when it does happen, I am kind of in Gimli's position of being just in awe of whatever form of beauty I am taking in. So that's two ways in which I'm like Gimli, and he's kind of one of my personality connections in the story. Another personality connection I have in the story is Boromir. And Boromir is, let's just say he's pragmatic and he is kind of brash. Um, he's got a very clear idea of what he wants to accomplish and he kind of just wants to take the shortest route to get there. And that's often the way I think about things. My personality is such that I just very much want to take the direct route and... Sometimes it's in the interest of trying to save time, but it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Because if you do it, and it's not really the best option, it actually costs you more in the long run than maybe it would. And I feel that tendency in myself a lot of the time, and I have to fight it. And that's one of those things that Boromir has a problem with, and it's part of the reason he's drawn to the ring. He sees a problem, namely the encroaching forces of Mordor trying to take over Gondor, and he sees a potential solution to that problem, using the ring. And he doesn't think that the alternative that's been chosen by the council, which is to destroy the ring, has really any practical chance of success. And so he has a very dim view of doing anything other than just taking the very practical option of, we have this powerful weapon, why don't we use it? Now, there's that's a personality flaw and it's nothing to do per se with his moral character and comparing my moral character i think my moral character helps me set off that you know aspect of my personality a lot boromir's was maybe not as well developed but he overcame that and redeemed himself but that tendency to want to just take the easy direct route and do what looks like it's going to be the quickest most efficient way to the end goal is definitely a thing that I can see within myself that matches neatly up with Boromir's character. Moving on from aspects of personality now, other ways that you can connect to characters are aspirational types of things. And here I get into Boromir's brother, Faramir. He's one of my favorite characters, and the reason he's one of my favorite characters is he's the kind of person that I want to be. Faramir is a man who is 
in a difficult situation, hasn't necessarily had the most optimal upbringing because Denethor has played favorites probably all his life, but he's had enough of a good foundation and he's wise enough on his own terms that he knows how to navigate very complex situations and, you know, really follow his conscience while also not being just a, a pushover or a sap or anything like that. It's like he knows how to be tough, but he also knows how to be kind, merciful, and he knows how to do all of this really smart. And that's, you know, I mean, it's not like Faramir has no flaws or anything he does, but the any kind of human has flaws. And that's what makes Faramir relatable in a lot of ways that some other characters are not, and why I attach so well to Faramir as a character. I can see that he is less than perfect, but he is doing things that I can't, you know, I'm not necessarily capable of doing at my level of maturity yet. And that's something that's really nice about the story is that, you know, very there's an expression about, you know, you can't write a character smarter than yourself. So when you're already fairly smart as a reader, which I humbly submit that I am a fairly smart guy as a reader. I mean, I am a lawyer. I passed law school and passed the bar. That's not exactly an easy feat. You know, if I come across a character who is written well enough to impress me, that's really impressing. And it's, you know, it, it gives me a huge impact in the way that I look at things because I can look at this character who was written by an author who lived, you know, before I was born. He, you know, Tolkien was dead. But this character is so well written that I can look up to him even though he's not a real person, which is. I mean, that's a, an astonishing feat in and of itself. So Faramir is the guy that I aspire to be. The flip side of that coin is Aragorn. And by the flip side of the coin, I mean, I don't aspire to be Aragorn. Aragorn is written to be a character who is not really on our level. Aragorn is a, a descendant of Numenor. He's going to live for 210 years. He is elven-wise, he has, you know, hardihood that surpasses basically everybody else in Middle-earth. He is, in a lot of respects, a legendary or even almost mythical character. So Aragorn is, I think, kind of intentionally set up to be a person who is not within our grasp in, in terms of something we could aspire to be, but certainly something that sets a a bar of the kind of person that we should aspire to follow. It's like if you're not at least kind of approaching some level of quality that Aragorn is, then are you really worth following as a leader? And let's face it, most leaders aren't really up to that standard. I mean, it's almost an impossible standard, and that's why we don't aspire to be that person. But it's still something like a a gold standard that you can look at and go, yeah, if I was going to follow somebody, they would meet all those criteria. And it's a really powerful impact because when you compare somebody like Aragorn to people in the real world, you can get glimpses of, okay, this guy, he's not Aragorn because he's not a descendant of Numenor. He hasn't had 87 years to get really smart and still be perfectly sound in mind and body. 
But he's got something going on that looks kind of like Aragorn. He's tough and he's, but also, you know, capable of being humorous and kind and also, you know, ready to go into battle and also ready to lead men and capable of doing so without being just a jerk. You know, so many people who are in leadership positions tend to be jerks because they just want the power. And I mean, that's not a political statement. That's just like a, that's just a statement about human nature. Um, just almost anybody you find in a position of power, whether it be in management in a company, whether it be in politics, whether it, whatever it is, it's hard for human beings not to become, you know, eaten up by that power. And that's kind of the whole point of the ring is the ring is the allure to power. That's kind of the role it plays in the story. Aragorn is almost that perfect human being who is capable of rejecting that kind of allure, but capable of wielding the power given to him in a wise, benevolent way. And so he's kind of the perfect king, and that's something to aspire to. Theoden is kind of a mirror image of that, but on a lower level, because Theoden is in some ways much more flawed than Aragorn because he lets himself become more you know, brought brought down by Grima Wormtongue and all his verbal poison, but he's still benevolent and kind and all those things, and courageous. So, you know, you've got kind of two levels of king going on there. Denethor, on the other hand, is kind of the warning of, here's what you don't want to be, right? Denethor is Boromir taken to an extreme in the opposite direction of Aragorn, Whereas, you know, Aragorn is like, fix all of Boromir's flaws and then put him in a position of even be, being even better than Boromir is in so many ways, you know, being a more pure descendant of Numenor. Denethor is like, make him better than Boromir in terms of like the technical aspects, but even less good in terms of the moral aspects. Denethor is, in a lot of ways, kind of like a politician who is very pragmatic and focused on just those pragmatic things. And that's a good warning for us to look at, you know, when we elect leaders in politics or when we look at people who are getting promoted within companies, is the person just technically proficient or are they also well-balanced and, you know, ethical and all these other things because if you're just pragmatic and focused on efficiently reaching the goal, a lot of things can go wrong when a person like that gets the reins of power and then starts doing things that cross the line from ethical to not so ethical. And then another really good warning sign is Saruman. Saruman, I think, is a really, really good archetype for the... Unlike Denethor, who's just kind of like a politician who gets into a position that's a little bit too powerful for him, Saruman is the demagogue. Because Saruman, in his speech to Gandalf, when Gandalf comes to visit him about the ring and everything, well, not about the ring, I mean, he comes there at the behest of uh, Radagast, who Saruman sends, but in the movie it's more about the ring explicitly. At any rate... Saruman's speech sounds very much like an actual politician making a stump speech. Somebody who is using their gift for rhetoric to make you think that what they're selling you is 
you know, a good thing and it's for the best interests and it may look ugly, but it's, you know, we have to do this for pragmatic reasons and, you know, our only other option is worse than this. You know, he's selling it in a way that is very reminiscent of the way that many politicians sell their own message to an electorate. And I think that's a really useful tool in kind of analyzing how we view people who are actively seeking power because Saruman is that person. He's the kind of guy who may have started with good intentions but eventually went down the wrong road and now he is seeking power and he he may have convinced himself that he's seeking power for the right reasons but anybody with a good head on his shoulders can see that it's really not the right reasons and therefore that person really shouldn't have the power he's seeking. And again, I would argue that human nature is, if you're seeking power in the first place, there's a good chance you shouldn't have it anyway. But if the person seeking it looks, acts, sounds like Saruman, good indication that that person should definitely not ever have any kind of power that could allow them to do things to abuse it. So... At any rate, those are kind of my picks for characters that I find particularly either like myself or aspirational or warning signs within the story. Do you have any that really speak to you in particularly personal ways like this? If you've got any that you're willing to share in the comments, drop that in the comment section below. Lots of different characters have lots of different personalities and ways of going about things in the story. Not everybody's like me, so everybody's going to connect to different characters in different ways. So I hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, please do give it a thumbs up and share it around. You can also find me on Rumble and Odyssey, and have I have podcast versions of these as well. Subscribe and click the bell icon if you're on YouTube to get all my future content. And you can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore, and you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. No Marie.